Say dada. How's everybody doing? Welcome back in to the Hitters Only Podcast. Thanks everybody for listening. Thanks everybody for checking back in. I'm really excited about today's guest. That is going to be Mr. Blake Hamill. Uh, long, long uh, life friend of mine. Known him for years. Uh, don't remember life without him and his family. And I'm really blessed to have him in here. This evening to do a podcast with him and talk about his uh, life story up to this point and his current role at Renewed Life Ministries in uh, Christiana, Tennessee. So we had a great conversation. Um, Really thankful for him sharing his story. It's not always easy to do, no matter how many times you uh, tell it. Sometimes it's not easy to uh, sit there and beat yourself in the ground uh, over and over again. But uh, he chooses to share his story and he chooses to share his struggles in hopes that he's going to help someone else. And uh, that's very encouraging. I think it's a a good thing to take away from this podcast. It's a good thing to think about in our own lives. And it's a good thing uh, just to contemplate on in general is sharing um, your your current struggles or your past struggles with people and... uh, relay the message on how to get on the other side of it. So that's what this podcast is all about. It's all about uh, second, third, and fourth chances. It's about making a change. It's about turning it around when it, when you don't feel like it can be turned around. And it was really nice to have Blake in here to talk about uh, rehabilitation Um, drug addiction, alcohol abuse, and uh, all the above, you know, his perspective on what he thinks it takes to get it turned around and headed in the right direction. And I think he does a mighty fine job at it. Uh, He's helped a lot of people. A lot of people have helped him. So without further ado, I hope everybody enjoys this podcast with Mr. Lewis Blake Hamill. Thanks for coming on the Hitters Only podcast, uh, the second Hamill to roll on here, your brother. I don't know if you listened to to his podcast before, but um, he was he's been on twice, so this is the third time a Hamill's uh, come on the podcast. So I appreciate it, man. I know you had uh, family stuff, and sound like the boys are back at the uh, back at the workhouse eating pizza tonight. So mm-hmm. so I do appreciate you coming out, man. Absolutely. I, I'm blessed to sacrifice Chicago style pizza for you. <laughs> so, man, this obviously I'm going to I usually do an introduction before so you don't have to introduce yourself or anything. But um, where is where is y'all's facility located? Renewed Life Ministries is located in Christiana, Tennessee. OK, Christiana. I couldn't for some reason I was thinking it was near the uh, downtown square. 
But yeah, man, that's awesome. So you are the official director of that place? Is that the outreach director? The outreach yeah. director. Okay. So what's like the basic um, outline of like your duties there, and like what's like you know you have to give like a Sunday school answer of what your job is there. What do you What do you got? Um, if I wanted to do like a broad you know brush of what I do, I, I'm mm-hmm. basically the connector. Okay. So I connect people with our ministry, mm-hmm. whether that comes from, you know, donations, volunteer, uh, awareness. Um, I'm working on getting people, you know, acknowledging our presence. And mm-hmm. then I also connect the students. Um, I connect them with, you know, discipleship. So I'm working one-on-one with these guys. Uh, we're going through some pretty heavy stuff. Um, you know, we're diving deep and, um, you know, I'm helping them along the way, their journey, you know, and mm. re- recovery and, you know, walking with the Lord. Yeah. So you basically help with getting a person that's lost, struggling with addiction, things like that. You get, you help, you help get them to the program. Absolutely. Actually, you know, on the way here, I, I helped a guy get into a program. Really? You know? Yeah. Wow. So, man, that's awesome. And is this the same program that you were involved in? It is. It so is. I graduated from this program in 2015. Okay. All right. Well, I just wanted to kind of give everybody an outline of uh, your role and all that for you. I know you have a, a pretty a pretty good story to tell, and um, this is kind of a unique thing because me and you grew up together, and you know I've been a part of your family for a long time and forever uh yeah i mean um evan your brother is pretty much my brother and i consider you a brother too just because i just i don't remember life without you know evan and blake hamill and your parents so yeah it's uh it's been a wild ride man and i'm i'm really really thankful and blessed that um everything's made a full circle and you know you're sitting here with me tonight doing a podcast about your past and your awesome present and you know hopefully everything that's going to come in the future so i know uh you were on another podcast that i listened to that we were talking about a minute ago what's her name again tammy dickerson okay i can't and her podcast is called let me look it up real quick i uh tammy dickerson and that was your uh therapist when you were a child yeah so i was like eight years old yeah I don't remember that. So that was a full cir- circle. Yeah. I mean, because we were friends back the, then. The Stripped Away Podcast mm-hmm. by Tammy Dickerson. So y'all check her out. Her and Blake did a really good podcast a uh, couple, several weeks back, a little while back. So you can always listen to that too if y'all want to hear an, uh, another uh, podcast with Blake on there. And I'm sure there's been many more. But man, just to kind of start from the beginning, um, I guess that's uh, kind of your starting part from your story is your childhood. And uh, so just kind of take us a little bit through that. Absolutely. Um, so, I mean, we grew up together. Mm-hmm. You can uh, basically uh, confirm this. I had loving parents, Oh yeah. supportive uh, household. I mean, we never had to worry about where our food was coming from. Never had to, uh, you know, yearn for hearing. I love you. Cause it, yeah. it happened. Yeah. on the regular uh-huh. um and you know i mean at one time i felt like one of the biggest problems was your dad overcooking the ribs you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> i mean it was Small like stuff right? yeah so all american household really yeah all so. american household loving we went to church 
um, you know, no qualms whatsoever. And, um, you know, get into adolescence, you know, I got a lot of, uh, mental illness stuff go on, you know, a lot of depression, anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, I just felt like a, a hole was in my heart and I just had to fill it with something, you know, I just always felt alone, mm -hmm. felt ostracized and none of that was based on truth, but in between my ears, it was real for me. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, in my mind, I, I, you know, I didn't want to give it to God because I was just so fearful and I was just so, um, torn that I just felt like I, I needed something more tangible. Mm -hmm. Like for me, I've always known the presence of God was real, but when it comes to my limited understanding, I would rather have something tangible to fill that hole, you know? Yeah. Uh, do you think sometimes when people grow up in a Christian household, in a, in a good home situation, you have everything you need, uh, you've never really seen hard times. Sometimes I feel like um, when children are brought up in that environment, um, you can almost take the Lord for granted a little bit. Like you don't, like it's almost like you don't, you don't really know you need them. You know what I mean? 100%. Um, and that's just because you've, you've, you've got it made essentially. And I think sometimes that's the starting point to drifting away and not even really knowing that you're drifting away from God and stuff like that. Yeah. And that's no knock on any parent or anything like that. It's just, uh, you know, that's something that's happened to me in my life. And, you know, sometimes if you don't, if you don't, if you've never felt like you've needed the Lord, sometimes you don't know you need him. And then, then, then you'll find out quickly that you do. Yeah. I think if anybody's ever watched, um, the, um, the new movie that they have out, Jesus Revolution, uh, there's a line in there that I really love. And it's like mm -hmm. desperation yields great results. And he's, he's basically, I, I'm paraphrasing, but, the, the main guy, Lonnie, is saying, you know, my people are, are desperate people. Mm -hmm. And um, it wasn't until I was a desperate person that I reached out for the Lord. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, um, you know, part of my problem was, you know, just basically going off the list of, like, what will fill this huge gaping hole in my heart. And, um, you know, I literally tried everything, you know, mm -hmm. all the drugs, the sex, mm -hmm. um, material things. You know, and I crossed everything off the list, and um, when I finally got to the bottom of the list, I, I still had empty hands and still had a gaping heart, hole in the heart. Yeah, um, you know, it's it's wild, the, the progression of that, and as people sometimes what we can do to get to that point. And, uh, but, hey, I did, uh, I did write down – I've been thinking about you all day, and I will admit well, thank this. You. Yeah, I've been uh, – this. Um, I was reflecting this morning at work, and I wrote way too much stuff down, so don't let all this intimidate you. We won't be in here for four hours. But <clears throat> I remember some qualities that you had <clears throat> as a kid. And I wrote them down, and I don't know, there's probably ten of these. And these are the, these are the qualities that I firmly remember you having as a kid. You were sometimes aggressive, mm -hmm. athletic, artistic, hyper, smart, Friendly, funny, unique, interested, busy, and happy. So those are some of the things that I remember 
um, about you and your childhood. And I know at, at, at a certain point, um, you know, you, you started to have some struggles around middle school, maybe. 100%, yeah. Um, the middle school era, which back at, back then, for everybody listening, um, the punk scene was big. Avril Lavigne was hot and heavy. <laughs> <laughs> Good Charlotte, all that stuff. Lincoln Park was yeah, just yeah. absolutely uh, killing it on the scene. Mm-hmm. So um, skateboarding was big at that time, and just um, the punk thing was big. And if you wanted to take that up another level, you know, there was your 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 gothic kids, is what people used to call them, and all that. And um, yeah, I guess like you said, you were looking for something and kind of fell into that, uh, mindset or whatever. So what do you think? Um, is that just something that you turned to cause you were just looking for something or I resonated with darkness, mm-hmm. you know, I felt darkness. So I basically wanted to reflect what was on the inside, um, with my appearance. Yeah. And you know, that, that was also a coping mechanism too, because when it comes down to it, um, You know, I I felt rejection and I felt hurt. And so if I didn't want to experience that again, I wanted to push people away as far as possible so I didn't have the chance of getting hurt again. Yeah. You know, I think that was something Mm -hmm. I kind of carried like a badge of honor Mm -hmm. that destroyed me at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, and sometimes you kind of turn to things that everybody knows or notices so maybe people kind of leave you alone and you're and you're and I'm sure like were you kind of attached to like a friend group inside that too like did you have like a big friend group that kind of people were going through hard times too or was it I had a select few yeah I mean I, I basically I mean I had the closest person I was with in that time era was my girlfriend yeah and she you know she fell in line with that alternative lifestyle and Mm -hmm. you know the the obnoxious appearance you know Mm -hmm. those were some large pants man large pants and tight pants it depended on the day okay you know i I, remember the biggins the ones with the real mm -hmm. yeah that that was an interesting i was like dude you know some of those coming back like the (laughs) jinkos It always comes back full circle, man. It does. Man, I'll tell you, I had an intervention. I was babysitting a kid, um, and I had an intervention from him. So I, I came there, and I had these super, like, I was DIY. I would, you know, my parents would not pay for these pants. Yeah. So I'll just make them myself. No, I remember you used to uh, wear normal clothes out of the house, and you'd have your clothes that you were going to change into in your backpack yeah and you would change at school <laughs> yeah i didn't want to get in trouble you know <laughs> I, I do what i want but you're not going to catch me doing it <laughs> and but yeah I'm, I'm with this kid babysitting and i'm in these pants and they're just i, I just sewed them way too tight and i can yeah. barely move and he's trying to do legos and i'm trying to crouch down beside him and play with him and he goes your pants are way too tight <laughs> and uh it, it took me down a couple of notches. Dang. Mm-hmm. Dang, man. Well, so, anyways, I'm sorry. I don't mean to crack on you about all the wild stuff you used to wear, but it's a part of it, man, yeah. part of the story. And, uh, anyways, I know you kind of, you know, that whole middle school era was a start to a, probably a long process of a lot of hard times. And, um, you know, you mentioned uh, – 
you you know had some problems with maybe cutting and some stuff like that oh yeah was that more of an escape for you or at that time were you doing any drugs or anything or was it more just physical stuff it all started yeah i guess you could call cutting was really the gateway um you know it was i mean they've done studies on it to where it produces you know uh, dopamine and, you know, mm. pain killing properties. And, you know, for me, it wasn't an escape. Um, it was kind of like if you study the gate theory. Um, so gate theory basically explains that you can only process so much pain, mm. you know, like, a, a for instance, my wife just had um, our, our last child two, two years ago and what's called counter pressure is applying an immense amount of pressure on one area of the body and it will take away the pain of the other area that's, you know, stimulating with pain. Mm. Um, so I kind of assimilate that from, yeah, from what I was going through. I was going through emotional pain and I would inflict physical pain to deter from that emotional pain. Mm hmm. Which, you know, just like any drug or any vice, it only works temporarily and it end up ends up destroying the person that does it. Yeah. 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 Man, that's just um do you ever reflect back on that age of your life and it does it make you realize like how important it is for kids to like get started off on the right path or like around that age? Yeah. Yeah. I kids, man, that I feel like they need something to be stay busy and stay mentally engaged with something every day. And man, you hope that that's like a positive thing in their life that gets them started off on the right path at that age. Yeah. I I definitely feel for kids, you know, going through hard times because for them, it feels like forever, Mm -hmm. you know, and Mm -hmm. um, you, you just want to, shake them and be like snap out of it it's not going to last forever yeah but for them that's the reality yeah and for you like when you were going through that hard time and any kid going through a hard time when you're uh 13 14 um how old are you 34 33 34 yeah i'm 33 so 30 when you're 13 33 seems 100 years away well i even lived that long who knows yeah exactly and so that and all you know is you just want to get out of that bad situation now. Mm-hmm. And you just you don't have the mental capacity to work through it, to understand that, you know, there is help and stuff like that. So it can just it can really turn into a nightmare uh quick. And um I just think it's so important for young kids, man, to be involved in something that really keeps them mentally engaged, even physically tired. That's why sports I think sports, in a way, saved me when I was young because it just it gave me something to just, like, hyper-focus on. Yeah, for me now, I mean, my go-to is lifting weights mm-hmm. because it's it's a proprioceptive activity that yeah. gives me a struggle. You know, I've always looked yeah. for a struggle, and that's mm-hmm. a healthy struggle for yeah. me. Well, don't you, don't you feel like, too, though, when you leave the gym, like, uh, like do you notice yourself, like, not getting as mad? Sorry, Ralph. Absolutely. I mean, I, I feel like I've done work on myself. Yeah, you can kick him off if you need to. He's a, he's a wild cat. Yeah, so it's almost like w- once you run or get out of the gym, it's like nothing seems like as big of a deal. 
No, yeah. It's you like, leave uh, it all on the floor. Yeah, it's like, okay. Well, it wasn't as hard as chest day, so. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But it, it, it always brings me down a little bit, which is a good thing. I always need to, you know, keep my temper in check or just emotions. And I feel like healthy exercise brings you down to like a good base level. It does. Yeah. It's it's also helped my sleep. Mm-hmm. It's helped my, you know, emotional regulation. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I've always been an aggressive guy, but now I have an outlet for that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's really good. And you only got into working out after recovery. After recovery. Yeah. Yeah. I've never done it before. And Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, I just want to blaze through the rest of this uh, kind of come up story. So in high school, um, I felt like uh, we were in high school at the same time for a short amount of time. You're a little bit older than me or a couple of grades ahead. Um, it seemed like you kind of were coming out of that a little bit of – you know, you were tr- starting to, you know, dress more normal. I felt like you were more approachable, which I was never scared of you or anything. You always <laughs> just Blake to me. So, yeah. um, but uh, coming out of high school um, or it during high school is that when you started the first time you started messing around with like drinking and drugs or? Yeah, it was a later part of it. Um, so high school for me was the social adjustment era. Mm-hmm. Um, That's a good way to put it. Yeah, I, I was, you know, socially adjusted. You know, I learned um, how to connect with people, mm. uh, learned how to manipulate people, um, you know, learned how to, you know, kind of persevere a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, grew up uh, mentally a little bit. Yeah, and then towards the latter part of high school, I discovered drugs. Um, before that, I was actually very anti-drug. I always thought losers take drugs. Mm-hmm. And um, then it kind of dawned on me. I was like, I kind of think I'm a loser. So <laughs> why am I not doing drugs? <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. And, uh, yeah, and, and just, you know, uh, marijuana for me was uh, I always, like, take it or leave it. Mm-hmm. It's honestly been the hardest drug for me to take. Yeah. Because I get so into my head and <laughs> yeah. I hate it. Yeah. Um, it, it's fun sometimes, but yeah, for the most part, it, I wigged out. Yeah. But um, cocaine was like, oh, oh, it was like the first time was like, where has this been? Man, you had to pick the expensive one, didn't you? Exactly, and mm. I can tell you right now, if I had all that money back. Ooh. That went up my nose, I would be like yeah. pretty well off. Yeah. 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 So that kind of started in the later part of high school, and um, you ended up going to MTSU, right? I did. Yeah. I went through MTSU, um, okay. what was psych your ma- major. Psych major? Mm-hmm. Okay, that's interesting. So you are you were already kind of interested in uh, psychology and stuff like that at a young age? Yeah. I mean, I'm obsessed with myself. Yeah. Or I was. It's at one point, and uh, they, they often say that the common thread for people that pursue psychology are the ones that want to fix themselves hmm. or understand themselves. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that was my mindset. Yeah. So did you end up getting your degree from there? Or yeah. Did you? Okay. So you got a psychology major. Mm-hmm. What's your minor? It's art. Art. Okay. And mental health. Okay. I'm a soci- I have a sociology major and uh, criminal justice, so not using either of them. But, yeah, they always say if you want to major in 
criminal justice, uh, it's a good it's a good start to going to work at Nissan. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did that for a little bit, but now I'm I'm on to uh, better things. But okay, so you joined. Uh, I know in college you ended up joining a fraternity for a little while. Man, and it's wild. Like the whole scope of this, it's like from one extreme to another. Like yeah. going from goth to in a fraternity. It's very different. Thing. That's a huge leap. That's a that's a night and day difference. Uh huh. I wore it, Sperry's. I wore very short khaki shorts. Yeah, I remember you being fratted out, man. I was, yeah. man. I just I went through a lot of phases, and yeah. I'm an extremist, so I'm like. I'm gonna mm-hmm. go in. I'm gonna go in hard. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. It seems like that's kind of uh, was a pattern for you coming up. Is you know, if you did something, you're gonna do it all the way, mm-hmm. um, which can be a blessing in some areas of your life, and it can also be a somewhat of a curse too. And uh, so, you know, the college years, I think a lot of people. Um, I think a lot of people use college as an excuse um, to justify, like, uh, heavy drinking and drug use. Uh, I noticed in college, um, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that I didn't party and stuff like that. I I, I did, but um, I I would leave it at the party, you know what I mean? and I would do what I need to do to go to class, be responsible, and, and take care of myself and not take things too far. I was more of a social, just a social guy. Yeah. Um, didn't take it home necessarily. But I've seen people really take that college lifestyle, and then when they transition out of college, they don't know how to turn it off. And then it becomes a problem. Yeah. Um, I saw like a meme or something on Instagram the other day. It was like... Uh, Drinking all day and doing drugs in college, you were literally the man, and then all of a sudden you turn 32, and it's a problem, and you got to go to rehab. Yeah. And it's kind of true. Yeah. Um, so I think a lot of bad habits start at that age, because, um, I mean, you can be in the college up to four or five years, and, you know, that, that wild lifestyle, if you choose to partake in it, some people can leave it, and some people can't. And do you think that just kind of transitioned into – you going into being a young man after college and and just continuing on with too much uh, drinking and drug use and stuff like that? Or? So that's a loaded question, so I'll give you a loaded answer. Yeah. At the end of every single alcoholic advertisement, there's always drink responsibly. Yeah. Right? Uh-huh. And the same, the same semblance of you telling me to drink responsibly is you telling me to use cocaine responsibly. Mm-hmm. It ain't going to happen. Yeah. Like, if I get that bag, it's going to be empty, and yeah. I'm going to get another bag, and it's going to be Monday. So if you buy a 12-pack, you're not drinking two of them. Mm-mm. The whole thing's going The whole thing. Yeah. And there is something inside me that when I got a hold of alcohol, mm-hmm. it was it was going to go until I couldn't drink anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, and my brother, you know, I don't think he'd mind me saying this because I'm not painting him in a bad picture, but... He could always do that, too. Mm -hmm. And then there was Blake to where, like, he's bringing wine and, like, a, you know, a little thermos to class. Yeah. You know, let's keep the buzz going. Mm -hmm. Because for me, there was still that empty hole. For Mm -hmm. me, there was still that insecurity. 
Mm-hmm. For me, there was like that soft nougat that was like this scared little boy wherever mm-hmm. I went. Yeah. And, um, and I had the crutch, you know, I literally was bitten by the, mm-hmm. the addiction yeah. to try to mask that. Hmm. So something deeper, you know, it wasn't, I can't, or I don't choose not to drink responsibly. It was like, as soon as it hits my lips, like this is my medicine. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to take it till it falls off. Yeah. And, uh, I wouldn't mean to paint a picture like everybody that has a, uh, substance abuse problem has a problem from partying too much previously. But I noticed that is one thing that people struggle with leaving college is they don't know when to turn that, you know, part of their life off. Oh, a hundred percent. Five yeah. years is a long time to condition yourself. Yeah. You know, to I mean? binge drink. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Basically. Basically from college, you just kind of, what were you working some jobs or? Yeah. I mean, I've always held the job down. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, didn't hold it down great yeah <laughs> you know back then um because i, I used throughout college mm-hmm. um i would literally have two friend groups you know i'd have my fraternity guys that you know we drink heavy and then i'd slip off to you know the other people which you know we're scoring drugs and mm-hmm. getting a little bit more wild yeah so i guess eventually man all this pretty much kind of came full circle a little bit and uh kind of rock bottomed out so you can talk about that a little bit if you don't if you want to yeah let's talk about it um this is the exciting part right this is where the levee breaks yeah um so basically i get out of college and for a couple years you know i'm just holding down like dead-end jobs and mind you i have a um a bachelor's in psychology so Mm -hmm. i've got all the credentials to pursue a job, but I have none of the confidence and the wherewithal to take that leap. I'm just so scared mm-hmm. of just ruining it all, which I've got an addiction. So I have a good excuse to not even try. Um, and, uh, I end up landing, landing this job as a manager at a pet store. And, um, oh, nice. it's, it's not as, as glorious as it sounds. Um, in Murfreesboro, in Brentwood. Oh, dang, dude. You were up there with the poodles and, and all the fancy dogs. <laughs> I mean, you were you living in Brentwood? I wasn't. I was living in Brent Mead. Oh, wow, dude. So a little step high, down. High class. If you, I, I wish it didn't sound so glorious and extravagant. I didn't own my apartment. It was my girlfriend's apartment. Yeah. I don't even think I paid rent once. Dude, you sound like a guy that was dating... Some girl that her dad was a Fortune 500. Like, <laughs> I worked at a, a pet store in Brentwood and lived in Brentmead with my girlfriend. Times were tough. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, I'd work 10 hours a week. It's terrible. <laughs> so I'm working at this pet store. And, um, you know, at this point, uh, I think I had maybe a couple of months sobriety. So I finally, you know, reached out and got some help um started going to some 12-step meetings at celebrate recovery which if anybody doesn't know what celebrate recovery is it's basically like aa and church had a baby Mm -hmm. and so it's the 12 steps with the idea that christ is the uh the the pinnacle of all that Mm. so um 
I, I got a couple of year, months uh, sober and started dating this girl, which everybody was telling me it's, eh, it's probably not a good idea. But I was like, nah, what do you know? And uh, moved in with her, and we move into Nashville, Brent Mead area. And I convinced myself that I could have a beer. And uh, in theory, you know, it sounded great on paper. I'm just going to have one. Um, I'm going to be a social drinker. This is going to be great. Mm. I'm, you know, I've matured. Um, I'm starting my journey in recovery. Um, and uh, it, it lasted for about 20 seconds until I started driving to the store. And then I had already convinced myself after that 20 seconds that, oh, it's not just going to be one beer. It's going to be two just in case she wants one, right? But mm-hmm. in the back of my mind, it's really for me. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, maybe not just a beer, maybe a high-gravity beer, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, for the taste, right? More bang for the buck, yeah. No, more alcohol content. Yeah. And so um, I started drinking, and it it was literally every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was liquor. And then I'm drinking liquor throughout the day. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm doing this while working. And so have always have one water bottle full of vodka, one bottle, water bottle full of water, mm. and that would be my chaser. One would have an X on it. That was the vodka. One would have a B on it. That was my water. Mm. Um, just so I knew, just in case someone tried to take a swig of my water yeah, or, well, or smell my water, yeah. I was concealed. Ooh. Yeah. Dang. Uh, so you, you just fired up in the pet store. Yeah, I was fired up. Yeah. Um, sometimes I would go walking around with a scorpion or a spider in my hand oh, so wow. people wouldn't get too close and smell the alcohol in my breath. Wow. Which, it, it kind of worked. Yeah, I could have made it. It would have worked for me. I got stung by that scorpion, though, a couple times. Ooh. Um, it's all right. You just walk it off. Man. But, uh, yeah, the, the, the downward spiral just kept happening. Um, you know, I mean, two houses away, uh, found my new dealer for cocaine. Mm-hmm. And so I'm drinking all day long using cocaine, which, as you said before, cocaine's very expensive. Yeah. And I started stealing from the store. Oh, really? Yeah. From the pet store? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Like, yeah. what kind of things were you taking? Money. Oh, you taking register. money out of the cash register? Yeah. Okay. I would ring up uh, what somebody was buying, mm-hmm. and I'd ask them if they wanted their, uh, if they wanted their receipt. They said no, and they were paying with cash. I would cancel out the transaction, keep the, the change, or give them their change and just keep the rest of the money. Wow. Yeah. And then I'll just make sure the, the money was correct at the end of the shift. Yeah. 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 And they, I didn't know they knew, but they waited until I got a certain amount of money stolen. Oh, so it was a felony? Yeah. So it was a felony. Yeah. And so I'll never forget, uh, they walked in with some uh, some cops behind them and Knew the jig was up, and I confessed everything. Signed a piece of paper, said I would pay it back. Mm-hmm. And uh, man, that felt great for a second until it dawned on me I'm a drug addict that has no money, and I've got to pay all this money back. I've never even paid rent before mm. because my addiction's so bad. How, how am I gonna get out of this hole? Do you remember how much it was? It's fifteen hundred dollars. Yeah, which I mean, that's. I mean, that didn't seem like a whole lot, but at the time, I bet that, you know, was a lot of money. For me, that was a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, well, it's still, it's a lot of money now, but I'm saying when you're not, you know, established at all, 
it's like that money's not coming from anywhere. Well, not only established, but I'm not even, I mean, my self-control when it comes to the addiction was so bad. I was already owing the dope dealer before the end of the week. Yeah. Before my check hit, I'd already rung up a tab, so to speak. How much, if you don't mind me asking, which you don't have to answer any of this, but how much how much coke were you doing like in a day? Um, coke, I was probably doing about maybe an eight ball a day. Yeah. And then alcohol, probably a pint a day. Pint. And then, you know, beer on top of that, however many I can get. Yeah. Yeah, that's enough to stay pretty uh, pretty lit up all day, man. And so I guess when uh, you got the opportunity to not go to jail, which was nice, uh, you got the opportunity to pay that back. So what did that look like? Did you just, did you, were you able to pay it back or? Well, first I freaked out. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, reality dawned on me and I said to myself, like, I don't see myself paying this back. Like this was a nice offer, but Mm -hmm. it's not feasible for me. So I'm going to check out. Mm -hmm. So I drove to a Walgreens, um, and looked for, um, searched their whole store for razor blades. They were out. And I was just going to, I was literally going to kill myself Mm. and, um, settled for a knife I had in my pocket. And, um, man, I did some, some pretty bad damage to my arm, but, um, I don't know. God spoke to me in the heat of the moment of the crisis and the lack of blood and, and all that. And basically told me this is not it. And I cried out for help, had somebody come grab me, um, find me a safe place to stay. And I, I hightailed it into a long-term program. Hmm. I was like, this is it. Which is... Uh, renewed Life Ministries. Renewed Life Ministries. How, so, uh, you basically left uh, wherever that place was that you were, said you were, uh, got to go somewhere and stay, and then you went straight into that program? Well, I didn't leave. I got I got kicked out of my the apartment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I was kicked out of the apartment, uh, lost my job, and... Mm. No. So how did you, how did you find them? Did you Google it or what? I mean, it sounds like a. I stayed at a dude's house and he said, "I know about a place you can go." Oh, really? And that was the extent of that conversation. Yeah. And honestly, I was so desperate, I didn't even ask like what they did. You didn't care. I didn't care, honestly. Yeah. Um I said, like, sign me up. I, I don't want to go back where I'm from. You know. Mm-hmm. I want to go any place else from my past. Yeah, and I'm and I'm assuming that um, going home at this point was probably not an option. No, I, I had a talk with my mom and dad, and you know they were fed up. They've always been my scapegoat, you know, or mm-hmm. and they've always been my bail bondsmen, and they were done. Yeah. Um, they actually were like, "Get out of our house and don't come back." Yeah, at that time, mm-hmm. and that's what I needed to hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, that's a hard thing to do with your. I mean, you're, you're a father now, and you understand how hard that could be. Um, I mean, I got a little girl, and I can't even tell you how many chances that she's going to have, you know. Right. Uh, with anything. So, um, you know, that's got to be hard, man. But, you know, sometimes, like you just said, that's what you needed. And that's the hard thing to do. And it sounds like that may have played a big role in getting your life uh, headed in the right direction. 
Yeah, I mean, I think parents' worst fear is I'm going to kick them out and they're going to die. Yeah. But I think it really resonated deep within my mom's brain of like, I'm helping him and he's going to die. What is this doing? Yeah, that's a hard truth to accept right there. But it yielded great results. I got into a program to where um, I've never been discipled before, and that was the catalyst for change. Mm -hmm. Um, Having a trusted man walk me through what it looks like to have recovery, what it walks, walking me through um, what it looks like to have actual integrity and Mm -hmm. modeling it for me. um, That was incredible. Yeah. You know, I think my dad was always, he's always been a great guy, but he's never, he's been too close to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, because for me, I was like, oh, he's my dad. I'm not going to go to my dad for help. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, sometimes it does take like another uh, man in your life to get through to you. Um, you know, sometimes we grow up with our parents and we almost get numb to what they say to us just because they've been telling us things forever. And hearing that from a new person that you may have, maybe you don't even know them, maybe you have a lot of respect for them or anything like that. Like, um, I was pretty good about listening to, like, my football coaches um, just because they were, like, an outside um, parent figure for me almost. Mm -hmm. And I learned a lot from them, um, you know, as crazy as football coaches are in high school. But um, So I know what you mean about having that, that new figure in your life that you can hold on to a little bit and learn from. And so, I mean, not to sound funny, but like, you know, you found this, this dude was like, you know, how about renewed life ministries? And I mean, is that like a one eight hundred number you call or like, how do you basically say like, can I come to you or do they come get you or how does that work? So the way it worked was uh, basically called his cell phone. He answered. Um, and then he, literally you know asked me some questions and then said he was going to pray about it and Mm. then i was kind of just riding couch to couch for two weeks okay and uh when they were ready i mean i came to them and they you know picked me up in a van with like five other dudes yeah and we went to the house and from there on i mean it was like discipleship you're working, you're saving your money, you're obeying rules, you're in the Bible, you're learning scripture, the whole nine yards for an entire year. You don't have a cell phone, you don't have a car, you go where they go, you serve where they serve, and you try to keep a good attitude. And man, like I talked to my brother not so long ago about this interesting notion that we both had that we didn't know we had, but we grew up so comforted and supported not that that's a bad thing but in the environment that we grew up in we almost feel guilty that we didn't have a struggle growing up Mm. and so we look for that struggle today and um part of renewed life ministries was a good struggle for me kind of like a man going through basic camp Mm. you know to become a soldier like i needed to be broken Mm mm-hmm to be remade and and that was kind of like my breaking season yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense what what type of work physical work were y'all doing uh i had some real crappy jobs starting out because they couldn't get me into a factory so basically the way the ministry works they drive you everywhere Mm -hmm. so they wanted to do a one-stop shop so they wanted everybody at a 
factory, factory called Molly. Okay. Uh, it's off of Butler Drive. But I couldn't get into Molly first. Um, I had to wait a little bit. So I had to settle for some other jobs. Mm-hmm. I worked at a place called Cherokee in Smithville. Oh, God. It was... It sucked. That sounds terrible. It was pretty bad. Um, you said Smithville, and I was like... Oh. Yeah, yeah. No, Boy, you had, to, you had to really get outside the county line to find a job, buddy. I think I was paid $7 an hour, and um, we were basically welding frames for Subaru cars, and so little bits of metal would end up in my shoe. And Yeah. Honestly, I was just so happy that I wasn't using drugs and, you know, wilding out that yeah. I was like, it's, you didn't this care. is just a means to an end. It is yeah. what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll it'll produce character, and yeah. then then I got out of that and went to Molly, mm-hmm. and um, it was like the easiest job I've ever had. Um, literally a line worker and mind numbing stuff, but I would trick myself to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. You know, I would look for the good. I'd sing songs to myself. Kind of have to. You whatever it took to stay in a good mood, to stay focused and move forward. I believe that builds mental strength too. I don't know about a lifetime of doing that. Uh, it's not for me. There's a lot of good people out here that work in factories and that can turn bolts all day, but um, it does take a, a certain uh, mental structure in your head to keep that going and stay positive. So, yeah, I mean, that, that'll build some mental sharpness doing that. It did. And, and I needed an easy job for a little bit so that I could focus in my mind on mm. knowing Scripture, you know, thinking about things that are truly praiseworthy, like acknowledging my past, not dwelling on it, but acknowledging it and, mm. you know, talking to God about it, like working through some stuff. And I got to work through some stuff, literally turning a bolt, pushing a button, Simple stuff. Yeah. Got a lot of time to think and reflect. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Um, So a basic day in the program is basically wake up, eat, probably. I'm sure sure a lot of these guys probably work different shifts. No, one shift. One shift. That's the deal. Like Day shift. Yeah, you got to do day shift because third shift just ain't going to cut it. Yeah. I mean, they don't want to be driving around all night. But, and then... I get. I guess you go back to the house, and then did y'all do like a like a Bible study every night, or or group sessions, or you know, I, I don't know, like how close y'all are to like the twelve step program, or like how was that structured? The meetings, or did y'all do any of that? We didn't do any meetings. We'd go to celebrate recovery sparingly, but most mm. of it was groups, Bible studies. People would come give their testimonies. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would do Bible reading. Um, which was really hard for a lot of the guys. I, mm. I'm used to being in college, so I know how to be studious when I have to. Yeah. But we would literally sit there in silence for an hour, and we'd have to read the Bible or a biblical book. Yeah. And some guys would be, like, squirming out their pants, oh, man. Good. They're like, oh, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about? You're reading a book. <laughs> oh, man, that's that's funny. Yeah. Uh, but man. man, the characters in that program, um, gosh, I got so many stories. I laughed so hard from like memories that I had being a student. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, it was like something out of a movie. Yeah. I bet, I bet man, the <clears throat> different personalities and the different walks of life of people that come through there. I bet it's so enjoyable to be around some of those people. It sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> it's just cause, 
I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure, um, you know, not in a negative way. I'm sure y'all would get around telling old war stories a little bit on your past and it always comes up. Yeah. yeah I mean, so man, that's uh but I think the cool thing about that is y'all are all kind of going through the same type of thing and, and you're all there together and it's kind of like a, a team or a brotherhood or something like that, you know? Yeah. You develop battle buddies. I mean, you, yeah, you gotta have somebody that's got the same common goal as you do. Otherwise you feel like you're, mm-hmm. you know, on a boat. So at mm-hmm. one time in, in the, the house is, I guess you, you refer to it. Uh, how many, how many guys y'all got staying there? Uh, we got right now we have seven, seven. Yeah. Okay. Is it usually around five to seven or ten? Or? Uh, it 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 vacillates between like five to seven. Um, that's usually where we're at. Yeah. So is it kind of an open door policy? Like if um, you know, I don't know what the fail success rate looks like in that, but is it basically an open door where they can walk out if they choose to whenever they want? Hundred percent. I mean, you know, written in the policies, it's talking about you know you came to us for help, so. You know, we expect that you're going to do what what you're asked to do. do. And if you don't like this and it's not for you, you're welcome to leave, you know, no matter the consequences that entails that action. Yeah. Yeah. Y'all do pretty well with uh, retaining people or is it kind of a revolving door sometimes? We do well with retention. Um, You know, it really just determines you know with what kind of group we have i mean everybody's different Mm -hmm. we'll have you know it's not it's very rare that this happens but i've had a guy literally i went through all the policies spent like maybe an hour giving him a tour around the house talked to him and then he's like hey man i'm gonna leave and i'm like what what (laughs) you know it was an hour and then yeah and then we we have you know people that graduate so Mm -hmm. it really just depends on that and you know, our retention has gone up 50% in the last year, so that's yeah. good. Yeah, I know um, you talked about this before. So you yourself went through this program, which was how long? How many was it? How long was the – I guess is there some type of graduation, or how does that work? Yeah, so you spend a year there, and then you graduate. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and then, I mean – depending on your circumstances, you could stay longer. You know, they've always uh, opted for internship. Okay. I didn't personally intern uh, when I was there. So when you when you graduated, where did you immediately go to? So I went to my parents' house. Um, yeah. You know, they gave me an opportunity to come home. It was initially so that I could get back to school, right? They Like get my master's, pursue psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, in that year, I realized I didn't want to, cause I stayed at home for a year. I didn't want to go back to school. I was honestly scared about going back to school, not on Adderall, not on any drugs and still fighting, you yeah. know, stress while being sober. I was like, this is way too much too soon. Yeah. Um, and in that time I ended up meeting a, a woman who I got interested in, who eventually became my wife. Mm. And so that became the new plan of I moved into our house when we got married. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome, man. And I know um, uh, the man that helped you so much and that has since uh, passed away, what was his name? Derek Faulkner. Okay, Derek. Um, So he used to be the outreach coordinator. Yeah, I mean, he was the executive director. Back okay. then, 
he he wore all the hats. Okay, he pretty much did everything. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Man, I'm sure that's a whole other podcast talking about his life and and all that. But so eventually, so you were going back to school or whatever, trying to get you were. So was your goal to get into this space of what you're doing now? Is that kind of what you wanted to do? Uh, yes and no. I mean, it. I I never went back to school. That was the idea. Yeah. Um, never pulled the trigger on it. Um, mm. just because I ended up talking myself out of it, but. Um, the original idea was I wanted to become a counselor. Yeah. I wanted to counsel people. Mm-hmm. And um, in the meantime, I worked for a place called Journey Pure, which is a 28-day rehab. Um, and I actually got approached, so I became the residential manager there and was running uh, several of their houses. And I had somebody approach me with um, the possibility of pursuing a LADAC which LADAC is basically, I don't know what that stands for, but it's to become a licensed counselor. Oh, okay. So LADAC, licensed drug and alcohol counselor. That's what it stands for. Yeah. And, um, and I thought about that, and right about the time that I was considering that very strongly, um, Derek ended up passing away. And that was 2019. Mm-hmm. And uh, when he did, I was approached by their board to take over for him and it was just a no-brainer i mean god opened up the doors and i felt an honor to take on the torch wow Mm. that's special man that uh i mean obviously that's unfortunate uh about Derek passing away but you know what a what a chair to take over you know after he's gone i'm sure he'd be very proud of that. It's not often that something like that saves you and helps you, and then you end up um, kind of doing the same thing to keep it going to help other people. Do you kind of thrive off of that now, um, being able to still help people that had the same issues as you once did, and now you're on the other side of it? And like, does it give you a lot of fuel to see people come through the program, do the right thing, graduate, <clears throat> and then you know move on? And then, you know, them call you or stop by six months to a year later. I'm doing great, you know. Yeah, it fills my heart more than anything in the world. Yeah, man, that that would be that would be awesome. Um, that's got to be so rewarding. I mean, I'm sure, you know, I don't want to paint too much of a rosy picture on that. I'm sure it's hard constantly uh, being inside these people's struggles, too, you know. I'm sure that that comes with a lot of drama and stuff, but man, the reward from that sounds like it's awesome. Yeah. I I often tell people I couldn't ever sell you a Subaru because I've never driven one, Yeah, but I can sell you renewed life ministries because I gained freedom in there. You know, have you so many people, there's a lot of people in this country or in day to day life that, uh, work a tough job and, whether it's factory work, physical work, maybe their boss is a jerk, maybe they're stuck in a cubicle all day. And when they leave work, they just kind of leave work and they leave it all behind them. And they don't think about it anymore until they have to clock back in the next day. You know, how do you keep it separate? Or is it just your life? Because, you know, with everything going on within that program, I just feel like, man, I'd think about it all the time. Yeah, I mean, that's... That's one of my biggest challenges today is turning it off. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I'll be sitting at the table uh, playing a board game with my wife, and she'll look at me, and she'll be like, you're at work. Yeah. She'll see a face that I'm wearing, and she'll like, mm-hmm. you're at work right now. Yeah. And she, like, will mirror what I look like, yeah. and it doesn't look like a good face. <laughs> <laughs> it's usually like a, a, a very deep, like, intense stare where I'm I not blinking to clock out. Yeah. Yeah. And she needs me to clock out. So I've gotten better with time. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it really hinges on me being reminded of, you know, Jesus has this mm-hmm. and, um, he's sovereign. He's in control. And, um, I'm really not in that, in that much control over these guys' lives. Um, yeah. I'm a guide yeah. I'm a helper, and you know if they want it, they're gonna do it. And it's a good way to think about that. Yeah, I just got to put it into perspective. You pro- you provide the space and the program and the tools for them to use. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a great way to look at it. That's a that's a good perspective. And sometimes, you know, a good way to just, you know, sometimes I'm not good about turning it off either, and uh, my mind runs, and I'm always thinking about what's the next thing I'm gonna do, and. But I think the I think the important thing is is to acknowledge it and know that you maybe do that because that means you're working on it. So and that's all you can do is to continuously work on yourself. Oh yeah. So that's a good man. That's a that's a that's a tough that's a tough gig, man. It sounds like you do a good job at it. Um, man, I, I wanted to ask you this just because I've never I've never talked to anybody in the rehab space or anything like that um rehabilitation do you think uh drug and drinking addiction do you think that is a disease or a self-discipline issue what's kind of like your opinion on on that on addiction itself because you know you hear people say um alcoholism is a disease yeah or uh being addicted to pills is a disease. Right. And I, uh, I, I don't know. I'm kind of neutral cause I don't really have a big opinion on it. Cause I don't, I don't really know. Um, yeah, no, it, that's a really good question. And I mean, usually the way I answer that is like, I can only speak for what I've experienced. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, what lands somebody, in addiction for one may be different from somebody else. I mean, yeah. let's talk about Larry who's got schizophrenia mm-hmm. and he probably uses heroin to turn off the voices. Um, or you've got Sally who falls on hard times when her husband leaves her and she starts drinking. Yeah. You know, um, whether you want to call it a disease, whether you want to call it a mindset, um, it's a stronghold and, you know, it's definitely a problem. You know, I think that's something that we can all agree on. Yeah. I just gave you a, uh, a diplomatic answer. Uh, no, I like your answer because I think what you maybe are trying to say is it's, a an individual basis kind of thing. Yeah. It's a case by case. You can't put a blanket over, something like that yeah and that's kind of how i've always felt a little bit like i don't i wouldn't i wouldn't go as far as to saying that like alcoholism for everybody is a disease it's definitely a problem like you said 
Um, but maybe people are doing or acting that way for different, a lot of different reasons. Yeah. And I mean, there was a time where Cause, I could have a beer. Yeah. You know, but once there was like this mental switch, I couldn't go back to that. Yeah. Um, so I really don't know what constitutes for, you know, what addiction is. Mm. I know they can map it in the brain. So I do know, you know, really? Yeah. I do know that MRIs have, have seen effects on the brain from the addicted individual to the non-addicted individual. Yeah. I've, uh, I've noticed that some people and people will tell you this about anything like some, you know, I'm sure you've heard people go, Oh, I have an addictive personality. Um, and that means they drink too much coffee and they uh, chew a whole pack of gum a day and the, or they do something and they're just, they have an addictive personality. And uh, my roommate in college was like that. He just, he wasn't addicted to anything bad, but he just, that's how he was. If too he, much gum. Yeah. I mean, he would just, you know, he dipped and he would just, <laughs> just dip all day. And then, you know, he got, he would get used to watching movies at night and he'd watch movies all night. You know, he was just, it, it and I would, would kill you, to have an addiction to Big Lee Chew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just have to worry about the sugar or something. Yeah, man. Not a bad problem. Too many bubbles, brother. <laughs> yeah. Should have seen it. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, you know, what? Like, what is the goal of a recovering addict? Is it is it to never pick it up again? Or is that an individual base, too? Because... You know, you would like to say, let's just let's just use Johnny as an example. Well, Johnny drank too much. He had a liquor problem. He had to quit drinking. And he got his life straight. He's good to go. Um, can can Johnny ever go to a wedding and drink a glass of wine and go home? And and you know, can that happen again? Because I know sometimes like AA is like never again. What do you what do you think the best approach to that is, or do you think it's a case by case thing too? Um, again, I'll speak on my you know my person, and yeah. I know for me, I've tried that, and I've tasted freedom, recovery, sanity, mm-hmm. um, enjoyment of life. Uh, yeah. I've tasted structure, um, foundation and consistency and if i have to trade alcohol for all that it ain't worth it yeah and that's a good point um i think i think people that don't have addiction issue issues are often a little bit hard on people that do because um we ultimately don't understand what's going on and you know a lot of people go well why can't you you know why can't you just have one drink like it would be better for you to be able to have a couple of drinks and then put it down like that's that's in a better place than never touching it again but if you go like you said you go through all these hard times it wrecks your life and then you put all this insane work to get it back right do you even really want to do it again at all you know i don't want to give it a chance that's uh, doesn't seem like it's worth it. No, and no, that the trade-off's not worth it. And that doesn't make you weak or, um, like you know, sketchy. Oh, Blake, if he sniffs the daggum, you know, beer over there, he's gonna be under the bridge in a month. Like that doesn't make. That's not the case. It's just like why, 
why mess with it when you've already messed with it? You know? Yeah, and, and I'll just, give you an example. Like, um, for instance, I love tomato soup, right? Yeah. I remember it's delicious. Mm-hmm. It, it's my comfort food. I haven't drinking, or I guess you can say drink tomato soup. That's how you would eat that. Yeah. But I haven't eaten tomato soup in years because it gives me like really, really bad acid reflux. Oh, you too? Yeah, it's like the worst. Boy. And do I miss it? Yeah. Sometimes. Mm-hmm. Is it worth it? No, the trade-off is not worth it. Yeah. Same for me and alcohol. Yeah. No, I know what you mean. I'd give I'd give anything to uh, eat French fries and um, dip them in ranch. Yes, please. And pizza with mm-hmm. a, with extra marinara sauce every day. Yeah. But I think my uh, I think I would literally die of heartburn. So. I brought some tums in my pocket <laughs> when I in came case. in here. Yeah. I know, man. I had to start eating real clean, like you were eating a minute ago, to uh, avoid that every day. Because uh, the medicine and stuff is is not really like tums and stuff like that are not bad for you, but some of the long term medicines that people take are not. They mess with your liver and all kinds of stuff. So I don't yeah. I don't take them. But anyways, man, that's um, I don't want to keep you too late. I know you probably want to get home to the fam, which it sounds like they're having a good time at the light show. But um, the last thing I had on here uh, is your current life, man. How how is all this life experience and um, you know you're in such a good spot now from where you were. You know, how has this shaped you as a father now? Because that's, you know, kind of the next stage. That's the stage you're in. You're in you're in dad mode for sure. So Yeah. Um, it's really good because, I mean, I see a lot of myself in my kids because mm-hmm. they are my kids. But, yeah. um, <clears throat> you know, having gone through hell and back and, you know, tasting serenity and stability and freedom today, Um, I'm able to deal with crisis mode a whole lot better. Um, A lot of people's knee-jerk reaction to screaming and crying and wailing and, like, flailing around is is you panic. You know, you get on their level. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know. I I think having been conditioned through recovery, hardships, and coming out the other side, it's helped me deal with crisis to where I don't have to get on their level and I can stay level headed and see past the chaos. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's chaotic. Yeah, dude. <laughs> Having kids is chaotic. It is. It's tough. It's fun. Um, I love being a dad, but man, it is, uh, it's wild. There is always something insane going on. I had to, I had to calm the seas earlier in the living room. So I turned bluey on, to uh yeah to get um to get a little bit of of uh chillness in so we could get dinner made and stuff like that but yeah man but uh dude more recently it seems like you're messing around with um preaching or giving a message a little bit we uh went up here in milton when you did a little sermon up there yeah uh, was a while back a year ago something like that yeah so are you are you kind of messing around with that a little bit or doing some public speaking? I mean, I always do public speaking. Um, I've never promoted myself. Um, I, I don't know. I, I promised myself a while back that if anybody asked me to speak, I'd do it. Mm-hmm. 
no matter what it looks like or uh, no matter where. Mm-hmm. And I've never turned down a speaking opportunity, even though it frightens me every time. Yeah. Um, I really enjoy it. Yeah. It's good for me. So do you think, um, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but has that something that you've ever considered of like moving into like a role in a church at some point to pursue preaching or, or maybe some type of ministry, you know, in the church? I've thought about it. Um, I, I, I could definitely see it, uh, being a tangible position at mm-hmm. some point. Um, just depends on the opportunity and if it presents itself. Yeah. I'm sure you pray about stuff like that. So, you know, keeping on, keeping on where you're at and you're doing a good thing, man. So, you know, I know you covered a lot of, uh, stuff coming up through your childhood and all that. And that's good that you, you know, you're, you're open to share that stuff. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to say it, it sounds worse than it was, but from my perspective, man, I grew up with you and you're always Blake and whether you're wearing Sperry's or you're wearing all black with mascara, uh, I never really cared. (laughs) It didn't affect me any, (laughs) I would, uh, um, you know, uh, you were always, you've always been nice to me, man, through every walk in your whole entire life. You've never been bad to me. I did push you over your parents' kitchen table one time and broke a whole thing of uh, uh, some type of beads. Some type um, of beads. It was over my snacks. I was thinking about that on the way yeah, here. Yeah, you get, you take uh, your ham, your sliced ham, seriously. Uh, so, like I said, man, we got, uh, <laughs> dude, we got a, a, a bunch of really good family stories, and we got a whole handful of stories that we wouldn't talk about on air, too. So Absolutely. But, um, man... Thank you so much for for coming over here. And if there's anything else you want to share or anything like that, it's an open floor. But um, it sounds like you're doing an awesome thing over there. And just, man, tell everybody, um, like, I guess the information that they would need to know. Can people give or anything? Absolutely. You can give on rlmo.org. Go to Give Now. And um, you can also apply through our website as well. Again, that's rlmo.org. Um, if you have any questions, if you're a family member and you need help with a loved one, uh, reach out to me. Um, I, I, I never shy away from questions, um, especially from family members. I know that they need help too, because they need to know what to do with their loved one. Um, you know, I've definitely been on both sides of the the street with that one, but Mm. RMO, uh, official line is 931-716. 0733 and um i also work as a liaison to get guys help so if you need help or someone else that you know needs help give me a call hey all right man well uh again thanks for coming on the hitters only podcast i know this is probably a little bit of a a different podcast space than what you may have been on before i have all kinds of different people on here and do solo episodes and talk about music and all kinds of stuff. But man, I'm, uh, I'm convinced that somebody's going to hear this and it's going to motivate them, maybe help them or maybe lead them in the right direction. So it's good that you, uh, go around and do this type of thing in different spaces. Cause, um, that's how you find people, man. That's it, man. That's how you get people to the help they need. Yep. Yep. So, all right, man. Well, thanks for coming on hitters only.